Well, good evening, First Baptist Church. It is truly a joy to be with you here today to go over this, to be part of this preaching series on the Psalms. Happy Father's Day to you who are fathers. Happy Father's Day to you who are soon-to-be fathers. And if you're not a dad and you're not going to be a dad anytime soon, honor your uh, actual father here on earth, as God commands us all to do, honor your mother and your father. If you would please turn to our text this evening, Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And I'm just going to set us up a little bit of a backstory of when this psalm takes place. Uh, it's very, it's very, I should say, beneficial to us because our pastor preached through 1 Samuel last year. And uh, this, this psalm takes place in 1 Samuel 21 with the events that took place there. Basically, David has had to flee from Israel. King Saul has tried to kill him not once but twice now. He flees, he leaves his country, and he goes to the land of the Philistines. He goes to Gath. Uh, but right before he does, he makes a stop by the temple. He speaks to one of the priests there. He asks for a weapon because he's got no weapon. He asks for bread. He lies, tells the priest he's on a special mission. This, the priest uh, provides it for him. He gets those provisions, and he goes. And as he gets to Gath, which we remember is the hometown of Goliath, uh, the Philistines' you know, top hero, their champion of their military, he gets captured pretty quickly. Um, you look at one verse, he's going. You look at the other verse, he's before their king. That's how fast it took place. He gets there, and he is terrified, we're told. He's terrified. I mean, think about it. He is in the hometown of the guy that he killed, right? He just brought national disgrace onto the Philistines. He's beaten them in several other battles. They make a song about it, right? Saul has struck thousands. David has struck his ten thousands. And they bring him before the king, and he's got to get out of this jam somehow. And he chooses to pretend that he's insane. He takes it the full nine, right? He starts scratching up the doors of the gate, and he starts drooling on his beard. He's basically acting like a dog, like, a, like an animal. And because of this Hollywood-level, Oscar-worthy performance, the Philistines buy it. The king says, uh, why have you brought a madman to me? Can't you guys tell he's crazy? Right? And get him out of here. And it's understandable because back then, insanity was kind of viewed as a curse that the gods put on someone specifically. And if you interfered with that curse in any which way, which killing the person would obviously interfere with it, if you interfered with it, then those gods would put insanity on you. So the king of the Philistines, Achish, he's like, I'm not having none of that. He kicks David out and sends him on his way. And that's a backdrop for this psalm. It's basically a story of King David surviving a very close brush with death. Right? Very close brush with death. He can't believe it. He has survived, and he's going to write a psalm of thanksgiving to God. So if we just look at Psalm 34, I will start by reading the psalm in its entirety, and then we'll take it from there. Now, just uh, as a word of caution, that superscription right there, uh, David changed his behavior before Ambimelech. Uh, Ambimelech is King Achish. It's just a royal title, kind of like Caesar's royal title for the Roman emperors ever since Julius Caesar. Every single Roman emperor was a Caesar in his honor. Same thing. His title is Ambimelech, but this is King Achish. And, uh, and we begin. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. 
Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved them out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you now to hear your word. Lord, I ask that you would give me the, you, the, the wisdom, the Lord, that you would give me the ability to communicate your message as you wish it to be communicated. Lord, I ask now that you would give me strength, Lord, to, to carry out this mission. I, I don't uh, take it lightly. Father, I ask that right now for all of us, you would open our hearts uh, to, to, to this message so that we may be able to love you more, praise you more, and thank you more. Pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen. So we look at the first few verses here, the verse 3 to be exact. Right? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. These verses have real enthusiasm behind them, right? They're really euphoric. Right now, David has just survived the brush with death. Close call. And we can even see unbelievers uh, sometimes express this kind of praise, right? Well, here, you've heard of the phrase, uh, there are no atheists in foxholes, right? When things get rough, when things get dangerous, even unbelievers say things like, thank God or help me God or something like that, right? I know that in my line of work, uh, before I was a believer, you know, we would do things like if we had a close call or something like that, we'd come in, high-five each other and be like, man, God was on the side of the good guys today, right? God was looking out for us. And you could pick that apart a thousand different ways, but the truth is that even unbelievers recognize or, or some, some words praise God, um, but that kind of praise is very different from the praise that actual believers give God, right? We give a different type of praise. We give real praise and real thanksgiving, and so what I want us to see here is that David is now resolved to praise God at all times, right? Every time, in every facet of life, right? He's leaving here and he's saying, in good days and in bad, I will praise God, right? I will bless God. And it's important to note that David is not out of danger just yet, right? He's only starting what's going to be his exile of seven years running from Saul. He's in extreme danger. He has very few provisions, okay? He just went through one brush of death. He's probably going to have a few more. And he's saying, I will bless God. 
And when it comes to that word blessed, just so we can understand a little bit better, because we normally think of blessing as sort of what God gives us, right? God gives us blessing, not kind of the other way around. Uh, there is a, a difference here, right? When God blesses us, obviously we do not deserve it, right? It is an extension of his mercy and his grace, right? And he gives that to us, and he gives common grace to, to the unbelieving as well, right? He makes his sun rise on the good and on the, on the evil. He makes, he makes rain go down on the just and on the unjust, but when it comes to believers uh, specifically, we bless God by praising him, right? When we praise his name, we glorify him to the outside world, right? We give people a reason to look upon God and say, oh, that's why those folks are happy. That's why those folks give thanks, right? We bless God in that way. We're not used to saying it that way, but that is what he means here, right? And so I'm not trying that at all, by the way, to, to, to minimize uh, some, you know, some praise to God here. What I, what I just want us to do is get the, the praise in context here. That what is also special is that verse 3 right there, right? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together, right? This isn't just individual praise. This is him inviting other believers or other people to praise God with him, right? Now, it's one thing to praise someone privately, all right? Almost anybody can do that. That's easy, okay? The real trick, the, the real thing that's valuable here is when you praise God or praise anyone, actually, to other people, right? That's a praise that overflows from a thankful heart. You can't keep it to yourself. You tell other people about this good thing. And here, I want us to just take this as sort of like the first element of what a thankful heart in a Christian looks like, right? A Christian with a thankful heart praises and gives thanks to his God continually in every facet of life. Every facet of life. Now, I'm going to go back real quick just to verse 2 for just a moment. Let the humble hearing be glad. I think that's easy enough, right? It, it, it takes humility to praise someone, right? The humble heart, the thankful heart, is the opposite of the prideful heart, right? The prideful heart takes credit for everything, right? It takes credit for what happens. It's the humble heart that's willing to give all credit to God, to give all glory to God um, rather than taking it for themselves. And so we can call that the second element here. The second element is that we, uh, the Christian's thankful heart is a humble heart that doesn't seek its own glory, but rather gives joyful praise to God, gives God the glory. And third, that invites others to join in the fellowship and praise God. Good news can't be kept to yourself. Let's look over now to verses 4 and 5, because we might be wondering, well, what are these things we should specifically give thanks for? Verse 4 and 5, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. We thank God because he answers prayer, right? Answered prayer is one of the number one reasons why we get joyful in life, right? We pray for something. Maybe we've prayed for it long enough. Maybe we've prayed for it pretty strongly, right? And it gets answered to us. Right? That is something to be extremely grateful about. It, it brings us a lot of joy. And that's what's happened here. Right? The prelude to Psalm 34, we don't have enough time for it today, is Psalm 56. And it describes how scared David was when he was seized by the Philistines. Right? And he resolves in Psalm 56 to do that famous little saying, because we see it on all the money, right? In God we trust. Right? There it says, in God I trust. Right? So here, you see how 
David prayed for God to deliver him from his enemies. He goes before his enemies. He has to act like an insane person. He does. He's delivered, and he thanks God. Right? He's not for two seconds upset, maybe, that he had to uh, shame himself like that before the Philistines. I mean, think about it. He had to like, scratch up the doors and like drool on himself. Right? He had to do all that. He's not upset about it, though. He is thanking the Lord for God's deliverance, right? for, God's answering, for God answering his prayer. And so we want to look real quick. Let's look real quick to uh, verse 5. We just covered it. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Here he's drawing an allusion to the Exodus, uh, to, to the Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 34, when Moses goes up to get the two new tablets from, uh, from God. And when he goes up there, the, the chapter says, has some very beautiful language there, says that, Moses spoke to God as a friend to a friend, right? He saw God's goodness. He was in God's presence. And when he comes down from the mountain, after worshiping God in very close proximity, he comes down from the mountain and his face is radiant, right? And all the people are surprised by that, right? Like, look what happened to this man who can meet God so closely, who God permits to come so closely. His face is radiant. He's different than everybody else, right? And David is using this kind of like a poetic little device here to say that when we go to God, right, anyone who goes to God right, is going to be radiant in the sense that darkness cannot overtake you. Right? No matter what situation you're here on earth, right, we're going to face various different trials, various different sufferings, various different problems. Right? But darkness will never take over us. Right? will never beat us. Why? Because if we look to the Lord, we will be radiant. Right? We will have that that awesome reverence for God. We will obey God and we'll be close to God and have a close relationship with him and we will be radiant. Now, when we look at verse 6, this is very uh, common in Hebrew poetry, right? Repetition. But here it changes just a bit. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now, brothers and sisters, this is what it means, once again, to have a thankful heart, Right? To recognize God as the origin of all our blessings and our deliverance. He's a poor man because he's been brought low. Once again, he's at to act like he's insane. He's humble. He's lowly. He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord saved him. Right? This reminds us of Proverbs 3, 34. A little special here because it's written by David's son, Solomon. He writes, Toward the scorners, and in reference to God, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives grace. And here he did. He delivered David. We're going to finish off the section with verse 7. 34 verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So the angel of the Lord, the three things we just have to remember about him, he's a very mysterious figure in the Old Testament. Uh, for one, uh, J- J- Jacob has this vision in Genesis, of a ladder that extends up to heaven. And on this ladder, there are angels going up and down, descending and ascending. And it's, it, it shows Jacob, Jacob, this vision, that God's angels are always at work here on earth. They're always doing missions. They're always doing tasks on his behalf. Later, this angel of the Lord pops up in the burning bush account. Right? He speaks to Moses. Right? It says, and he's the one who pretty much kicks off the entire exodus, uh, the, the, the whole thing to go and you know, confront Pharaoh, get redemption for God's people. 
So you can already tell just from these two accounts, especially in Exodus and in Genesis, that the angel of the Lord was something of a revered figure in, in Hebrew literature and to the Hebrew people. Right? Third, in Joshua 5, Joshua is confronted by, an angel, right, by this character, the angel of the Lord. And he declares himself to be the commander of God's army, his angelic army. And there's a little detail here that is the cause of much theological debate, which we won't get into tonight. Um, but when Joshua sees the angel of the Lord, he falls to his face on the ground and worships him. And the angel doesn't rebuke him. Right? Now, we often see, you, know, you think of John in Revelation, right? You try to worship an angel, God's angel, he will rebuke you. Right? You don't worship angels. Uh, the angel of the Lord does not rebuke Joshua. Right? And so we can have a debate as to what exactly that means. Hint, hint. Uh, some will say that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, right? a Christophany. And so worshiping the angel of the Lord is fine. You're, it was Old Testament worship of Christ. But David is using this imagery to, to, to remind us of God's powerful protection, right? This being who commands the angels, right, commands God's angelic army is near, he encamps around, he's near and he surrounds God's people, right? He's always there to protect God's people. He is close by in close proximity, and he, and he is this figure that, once again, very mysterious, uh, but very powerful, very powerful. Um, so he does this to remind us and it's important for him because, once again, he's still facing grave danger and various trials out there in the wilderness, uh, that God's protection is always near. Now, there's one word of caution I just want to make that uh, in no way, shape, or form does this guarantee that God will always physically protect our lives in every situation, right? Uh, we have the New Testament accounts, and 2 Timothy 4.18 spells out this, the feeling quite, easy, uh, quite well. The Lord will rescue from will rescue me, this is Paul speaking, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into, the, his, into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, who in this case had just escaped some of the evil deeds by a local official, Paul is saying that, look, the Lord, he will bring me safely. Right? He's going to rescue me. He's going to rescue me from these people and bring me one day safely into heaven. Right? Paul may pass away, and we know that Paul does eventually as, as a martyr, right, in Rome. So here again, we see that uh, the, the, the deliverance of the Lord isn't always physical. It's more spiritual, but in this case, it, it was both. It, uh, David was delivered. So now I want to just, before we get into the next section of this psalm, because the next section changes a little bit. It's a little bit of a transition. This first part here was very heavy with thanksgiving, right? blessing the Lord at all times, inviting others to join into that. And there's just three things that I want to bring out before, before we leave this, this topic here, because this is our topic for tonight, thanks, thanksfulness, the thanksgiving. First, we give thanks to God because of who God is. We give thanks to God because of who God is. God is sovereign. Our God is in the heavens and does all that he pleases, Psalm 115.3. And yet he is who he told Moses he was on the mountain in Exodus 34. He is the Lord, the Lord, a God compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is perfect. He's almighty. And everything is under his control. And we thank him that despite being such an awesome being and us nothing in comparison, he cares for us and he loves us and he's always looking out for us. Second, Second, 
We give thanks to God because of what he's done. Right? Now, in Jacob's, I mean, in David's life right here, it was deliverance from the Philistine king Achish. Right? He just survived his brush with death. Uh, but for us, it's going to be for different reasons. But we, we give thanks to God because he hears our prayers and he answers them. And he has done many, many a good thing for us. He protects us and everything we have is from him. Everything. A third point I want to bring out is that we give thanks to God because we're well aware of who we are. We know that if it was up to our merits and our goodness and, and our so-called good works, that we can never stand before the Lord. All have fallen. All are guilty of sin. No, not one is, uh, none are righteous. No, not one. We give thanks because we recognize that God is our Savior and that we didn't earn it. And so this makes Christian thanksgiving very different from the worldly concept of thanksgiving, right? The worldly concept of thanksgiving is all me, 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 right? I want more, I want more self-winding and self-pity, right? I, I, cut, it, it, I mean, we just look at the social justice movement now and its perversions, not its originality, but it's in, per, in its perversions, it's all about coveting, right? In fact, if you ever, you know, you, you notice this about people, if you ever do something good for them, they, you know, they, they thank you for it, they somehow feel in your debt, right? No, oh, I got to do this for him, right? Because he looked out for me that time, right? I got I to help him now because he helped me that time before, right? It's almost as if people automatically feel in your debt. Yet Christian Thanksgiving's not like that, right? We give thanks for good things knowing that, well, at least to God, we could never repay what he's done for us, right? We give genuine thanks. We don't feel like this is transactional at all, unlike the world. And so those are the three keys that I want us to remember real quickly for, our, our, for the rest of this. One, we give thanks because of who God is. Two, we give thanks for, because of what he's done. And three, we give thanks because of who we are in relation to him. Now, I want us to look at Revelations chapter 4, verse 8. Revelations chapter 4, verse 8. There's a reason why we're going to go here. This gives us a little sneak peek into the heavenly throne room, right? What's going on in heaven, right? In heaven, we see here, verse 8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. So in the heavenly throne room, in this pure, the purest and highest form of praise, we see the creatures thanking God. Now you might say, might ask, why? They haven't been through any sinful trial, any trials, any struggle with sin. They didn't experience the fall the way we did. He's not exactly, he's delivering them. They are in the heavenly throne room. So what are they giving thanks for? Well, the only thing we can say is that he, they're giving thanks because God created them, because he gave them existence, because they get to be in close proximity to him and seeing his awesomeness every second outside of time forever. And that's something to give God thanks for. Even in heaven, we see thanksgiving. In heaven, we're not going to be evangelizing or repenting or doing any, many of the things we do now, not saying we shouldn't do those things, you're absolutely commanded to do those things, okay? I, but not that we're not going to do those things, right? But we will be praising God in heaven. We will be 
giving thanks. That does not stop. In fact, it's a good thing to get used to that now because think about it, you'll be doing that forever. Right? There you go. Right? So we see how essential thanks is to the Christian life. And the only way to really grasp that is maybe take a look at what it looks like to take away thanks altogether. We can look at Romans 1, 20 to 21, chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. A book of Romans, especially this opening chapter all the way to chapter 3, right, is where Paul is going to really describe the disgusting and depraved and just wicked nature of human sin, right? And how he gives up people's uh, to a debased mind because of how everyone has seen God's attributes and the invisible, uh, his invisible attributes in creation and have suppressed the truth of God. And in this chapter... Verses 20 to 21, we read, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. A lack of thanks, no thanks to God, is an extremely dangerous and serious thing, right? It is a fatal flaw, right? No thanks given, and we see how this here is describing those who, who are essentially doomed. So, I want us to also think of other examples in the Bible where there was a lack of thanksgiving and that caused a serious fall, Right? We can look at Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. Right? This is uh, the event of Korah's rebellion. Korah's rebellion. And we read here. Uh, we'll start with at the bottom of 7. You, th- these are the rebels that are confronting Moses. They're confronting Moses, some of the Levites. The Levites were the priest tribe of Israel, and they're, they're confronting Moses. They actually want to take over and depose him. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. This is Moses speaking to them. Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? Now prior to this event, God had separated the Levite tribe from all the rest. He'd made them the priest. And he had commissioned that when people brought the best of their offerings, the sacrifices to God, that those would go to the Levites. He actually expressly says to the the Levites, you will be God to them. You will be God to them. Not that they're actually going to be divine and be God. That's not the point. But that they as priests were going to represent him to the people. And so the Levites held the most sacred uh, position in ancient Israel. And here they're rebelling. And Moses says to them, is it too small a thing? He, he, he made you the best of them all. He made you special. He made you the priests. He separate. He called you onto themselves. And you're going to rebel now? Why? Because you're angry with, you know, in this case, they were angry uh, with the provisions that God had given them and with Moses' leadership. Right? And so here we see a lack of thanks. For when God has given much, and he gave much to the Levites, right? When there's a lack of thanks, hearts are hardened. 
Hearts are hardened and rebellion comes against God. It is important to have a healthy praise life and thanksgiving life to God. Now let's just, another uh, part of the New Testament which brings us back to why it's so essential. Colossians 3.17, Colossians 3.17, right? Paul writes, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. We give thanks to God in everything because we do everything to Jesus' name. And when I say everything, I mean everything. You give uh, thanks to God for the fellowship you have with your brothers and sisters. Give thanks to God for the household chores you got to do. You give thanks to God when you get a promotion at work. Give thanks to God when you're working a job you don't want to work. Right? You give thanks to God if you slip in the shower and bust your head. You give thanks to God because it could have been worse. Right? I'm not going to say who that happened to uh, just last night. <laughs> right? We give thanks to God. Right? And uh, I don't mean to minimize our trials and sufferings on this on this side of glory, I, I don't mean to say we are not going to suffer in such ways that will make Thanksgiving very hard. There are going to be situations that, that are very difficult for us as believers, right? Think of a situation where maybe there is a, a horrific disease that runs in someone's family. And all of a sudden, they begin to experience symptoms. Think about you've lost contact with a friend, uh, and you go to visit him, because he's not responding to text messages. You're like, what's the deal? You don't want to be my friend anymore. What's going on? And you go to visit and find out something terrible has happened to him. How do you give thanks? Answer is you can't. They said, but Max, you just said you give thanks and everything, right? No, you can't give thanks in that situation. No human can. Not sincerely. Not in your own power. But you can give thanks by the power and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit that prompts thanks, even in situations like those. Because you know, as those situations come and you've got to suffer them and go through them, you have the words of Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. God is always there to protect and deliver his people. Through everything. Nothing is too small for him. And we are in no, and remember that last part there of how we get to giving thanks to God. Step three, right? We remember our relationship to him. We know we're in no position to question him. Shall a false finder contend with the Almighty? Job in his confrontation with God. How did that go, right? We're in no position to question God. We have to trust that what he is doing is absolutely just because it always is. Scholars have a, a phrase. I think it's, it's great. Um, he who can say amen to the will of God in his heart will also be able to say alleluia. He who can say amen to the will of God in his heart will also be able to say hallelujah. What are some of the things we can be thankful for? Well, some things um, we take for granted. For one, I give much thanks that we worship in the United States of America. You don't hear that one all too often these days. Brothers and sisters, there are 51 countries and counting where the Christian faith is illegal. 
right? where you can face some serious consequences practicing your faith. You come to church every Sunday, and yeah, every now and then there are some uh, very minor inconveniences, right? Maybe somebody vandalizes a church building or something of that nature. It still can't be compared with what our brothers and sisters go through overseas, okay? I give much thanks that I worship here in the United States. Now, even, even Canada these days locks up pastors, right? You give thanks for the home that you live in. Plenty of people in this city don't have one of those. You give thanks for just your physical senses, for sight. You know someone who's blind? You know how hard of a life that is? Right? You've got sight. Give thanks for it. Right? Fellas, do you actively and regularly give thanks to God for your wife? Right? If we had a thankful heart all the time in marriage, you would see marriage strife just go away. Do you actively and regularly give thanks to God for your wife? I'm very thankful that the Lord has given me a wife, and I'm going to put you on the spot like you always told me not to do, <laughs> for the imperishable beauty and the gentle and quiet spirit of my wife. I mean, she puts up with me, right? <laughs> right? Ladies, do you actively and regularly give thanks for your husbands? Submission is tough. I give you that. You know what else is tough? Leading. Leading is tough. If you want to do it correctly in a biblical sense, it's tough. Okay? Give thanks for your husband. He is the son of God, lowercase s, right, lowercase s. He is the son of God that God gave to you in marriage. Right? Number six, here I got it here. Do you give thanks for all your brothers and sisters in the church? And I, I said all, right? Some of you guys are looking at me already. You know what I'm about to say, right? There may be some brothers and sisters in the church, none of you, of course, and certainly not me, that are hard to love, right? Say, so, man, that, that brother, man, he, at least he sanctifies me, right? <laughs> Something of that nature, right? All right. But let's take the, uh, the priority off of yourself, and let's remember for a moment that for that most difficult brother and sister, who maybe you've had an argument with, maybe you've had a disagreement with, maybe it's gone a little deeper than that, unfortunately, right? Just remember that that person is a recipient of God's grace, right? That God is doing an active work in that person and bringing it to completion, just like you. And if you truly believe, if you truly believe, if, right, that every good thing you have is from God, including your maturity and your sanctification, which you must be, right? If you have every from him, you have no reason to look down on anybody, you have no reason to have a problem with anybody, right? If we had thankful hearts all the time in the church with everyone we dealt with, you would see a lot of problems in the churches go away. Now, praise God in this church today, we have very good fellowship. We've, we've been blessed with a body that, that loves each other. But always remember that, that the thankful heart is the cure for pride. It's the cure for a critical spirit. Thankful heart and critical spirit don't go together. It's the cultivator of happiness, the cultivator of happiness, okay? Now, I want to very briefly, actually, no, I'll hold off on that, actually. Um, giving thanks conforms us to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Now, we always say 
that we have no reason, you know, we have no right to our blessings, we have no right to anything. Uh, but there was one man, our Lord, who was absolutely perfect, who never sinned. God in the flesh, right? Was he not? Uh, how, how is our Lord described? Oh, my, my favorite one. Um, he, is, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, and more importantly, and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if he had every right to everything, I guess he wouldn't have to be thankful, right? Except that he is, right? Matthew 15, at the feeding of the 4,000, he took seven loaves of bread and fish, seven loaves, of, of, seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples to the crowds. He thanked God every time his father for all the feeding he ever did, all the miracles. Think of when he's outside of Lazarus' tomb. Right? He's going to raise his friend from the dead. He has every power to do it. How's he start? He says, Father, I thank you, Father, for you hear me. You always hear me. And I said it on account of, of them so that they would believe that you sent me. He gives thanks to his Father. He has all power to do it, but he gives thanks. When uh, another situation where he gave thanks? Luke twenty two seventeen. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. He gave thanks when he was instituting the ordinance that was the memorial of his death. He knows what those symbols mean. He knows he's going to die and he knows how rough it's going to be. Just a few hours from there, from, from then, he would be ble bleeding, he, he would be sweating blood that looks like, I mean, sweating sweat that looks like blood, almost as if he was bleeding. Which, by the way, is a real-life medical condition, okay? Hematohydrosis, okay? I almost had a heart attack one time when I heard a sermon, and someone said, well, that's a symbolic thing because no one can bleed blood. That is a real-life medical condition, documented at all. It's usually fatal. It's extremely rare. But the only uh, medical observation that's ever been made about it is that it can only occur when someone is under extreme levels of duress. And I know we've all felt stressed out at one point. I'm talking extreme, okay? So much so that the capillaries under the skin burst, and they mix in with sweat, and they get, poor, and they, they get sweated out, okay? The Lord knew that was going to happen. And at the table, memorializing everything's about to happen, including his death, he gives thanks to God. Thanks to God. So we see how central thanksgiving is in the Christian life. Now, I want to go over to verse 8, because here we see a transition of sorts. Verse 8, we see a transition of sorts. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, blessing 
uh, the word blessed here, ashray, can mean a few different things. Uh, but just to, to, to point this out, um, it means happy, but it also has, has a more deeper meaning than that. It means someone whose destiny is secure, someone who is full, vitality, full, in all stages of life. And I do mean all, when they die and after it. Okay? It's, a, it's a blessing. To call someone the blessed man means that someone's life is going to be full of goodness till the day they die and after it, after it. It means this person has a secure and solid relationship with God. And so here, the man who tastes and sees that the Lord is good is someone who is going to be quite blessed. Quite blessed. A quote, for, a quote from Thomas Watson, theologian, in his book, The Art of Divine Contentment, a contented heart is a temple where the praises of God are sung forth, not a tomb where they are buried. A contented heart in the greatest trial has his heart and thankfulness. He often contemplates God's love and election. He sees that it is a monument to mercy, and he therefore desires to, pract- to practice a pattern of praise. Now Watson hits all three points there, who God is, what he's done, election, salvation, and who we are, a, a monument to God's grace. Once again, you don't keep good news to yourself. David is saying, he's inviting people by saying this, right? Come and taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I have this great relationship with God, this great experience with God. It can be yours too. It can be yours too. Now we're going to power through some of these verses here. Um, Here we see kind of a switch to uh, the wisdom literature. Uh, "Come uh, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days and he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. So one very important element here of Christian thanksgiving is it can only come from a, a Christian, right? That's a very basic thing to say, but it only comes from a Christian. And so we need to fear the Lord and hear David's heart is overflowing with such thanks that he commits to do that, to teach it to his children, right? Now, here children does mean a little bit more of a broader sense, public, but I'm sure his own kids are included. And I just want to point out one pretty heartwarming thing is that if you read the book of Proverbs in chapter 4, right, Solomon writes, when I was a son with my father, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. So we see how David taught his son the fear of the Lord. He taught his son the ways of the Lord because uh, he kept his promise in the psalm because his heart's overflowing with thanks to God. He loves God. So here, uh, verses 16 and 18, is just going to be a sort of repetition from the earlier verses when the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, again, prayer, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit. Once again, we God answers prayer, but I want to wrap up real quick just looking at verses 19 and 21. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, 
and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Now, I know what we were thinking. Okay, well, this is obviously a reference to Jesus, and it is, but one thing that's kind of important to note is that Jesus told us in this regards to the prophets and the kings, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Okay? So David is not writing these verses with King Jesus in mind. Okay? But here we see the, the power of the scriptures and the timelessness of the scriptures. That although he didn't intend that meaning, he, it, bones back then meant resurrection. They were a symbol of resurrection. That's why he's saying that it keeps all his bones. Think of uh, Ezekiel's vision of a valley of dry bones. Right? Had the bones there. If Ezekiel begins to preach. Uh, the bones start getting together. Ligaments get on them. Flesh, once again, uh, resurrected as people. Right? It was a symbol of resurrection. Later, John would quote this very same thing. And, uh, I mean, John would quote and, and use this symbol of resurrection for Christ. 1936, for these things take place, uh, took place that the scripture might be fulfilled and one of his bones will be broken. We'll end with this. The Lord, uh, 34, 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This psalm ends with a promise. It ends with the gospel. Promise of resurrection for the righteous sufferer, right? For the righteous here, for, for us. And so, if there is a soul amongst us that does not fear the Lord, that does not give real praise to the Lord, real thanks to the Lord, if there's someone here who has yet to surrender all to Jesus, well, then I plead with you, to speak to any member of this church, to our pastor right there, or myself, that we would love to talk to you about the Lord's gospel, how you may be saved and how you could come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Two quick points of application. One, never cease to praise and give thanks to God. Never cease to praise and give thanks to God. Dear brothers and sisters, we should be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. No one has has our glorious inheritance secured. Only we do as per thanks to the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And two, be very aware of the dangers of a lack of praise. The dangers of a lack of praise. A fatal mistake in anyone's walk. And that is all I have for you tonight. All right? Brothers, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word, for its message that it teaches us, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would, Lord, um, give us the strength, give us the help we need, so that we would be a people resolved to praise you and give you thanks. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would prompt us, Lord, to recognize all your good works, and, Lord, that we would always trust you in all situations, giving you thanks no matter how tough, no matter how dark the situation may be, Lord, that we, our confidence would be in you, that we could confidently say we trust in God, just as King David did. pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.